Pastor James Cadiz makes the connection between what we read in the Old Testament and the book of Revelation. Let's get real here, right? I've heard people say some of the most insane things in the name of sensationalizing what they're reading in the book of Revelation as though Revelation is the source document for how they know what's happening in the tribulation when in reality all Revelation is doing is describing to us what the culmination of everything we read about in the Old Testament is actually going to look like. And virtually everything that you read about in the book of Revelation has a basis somewhere in the Old Testament and Zechariah 14 is a very critical component in all of it. I have found that peace only comes from you. I have found that joy only comes from you, cause all I need is Consider for a moment how often we hear the promises and declarations of God concerning the future and how frequently many people ignore it. Even Christians develop a mindset of procrastination as it relates to the end times, and they mistake God's perfect timing for a delay that negates those promises. Today on Light on the Hill, we're reminded yet again that Jesus can come at any moment, and this rapidly changing world serves as evidence of that. Here's Pastor James Cadiz in Zechariah chapter 14. As I've said this before, and I will say it again, you cannot really understand the book of Revelation unless you have a thorough understanding of all of these things that you find in the Old Testament because you touch up on a lot of areas, right? When we look at Zechariah chapter 14, we are going to be interfacing with Isaiah chapter 2, which we won't have the time to go there. Uh, we're going to be interfacing with Ezekiel chapter 37, which we certainly are not going to have time uh, to go there. We will be interfacing with Ezekiel 38 and 39. We are dealing with uh, many other passages like, for example, Amos. For example, the very first chapter of Amos we sort of interface with even there. There's a lot of places that coincide and Revelation is the culmination of it all. Revelation is the revealing of all that was predicted in the Old Testament and John gets to see it and write it down. And so when you read the book of Revelation after having thoroughly studied the Old Testament, you begin to realize, wow, this isn't anything new under the sun. This is pretty awesome. By the way, guys, I just want to say this. And again, um, I, I've, got, I've sort of gotten past uh, the idea of uh, worrying about being accepted by many other people that teach Bible prophecy when I say this. But I will tell you, that is the reason why in a lot of circles where you find Bible prophecy teachers, you are also going to find a lot of very bad teaching, right? That's the reason why there are people that are coming to crazy, and I mean psycho conclusions, right? Because they have not developed an understanding of the Old Testament because they have not chosen to execute the discipline of knowing the whole counsel of God because in not knowing the whole counsel of God, they're allowing themselves to make these crazy far out conclusions that are not founded anywhere in the scriptures. And guys, I've heard everything. I've heard every crazy, maybe not every, there's probably new crazy things I'm going to hear coming out of people's mouth in the near future, but I have heard some crazy things. I've heard people say psycho things like, well, the Antichrist is going to be AI, right? 
No, the Antichrist is not going to be artificial intelligence, right? The Antichrist is going to be a physical person, right? Who will be possessed by Satan himself. Let's get real here, right? I've heard people say some of the most insane things in the name of sensationalizing what they're reading in the book of Revelation as though Revelation is the source document for how they know what's happening in the tribulation when in reality all Revelation is doing is describing to us us what the culmination of everything we read about in the Old Testament is actually going to look like. And virtually everything that you read about in the book of Revelation has a basis somewhere in the Old Testament, and Zechariah 14 is a very critical component in all of it, right? So the, all of this stuff is important, right? This is, this is very important stuff to know and to get to understand, because without it, you're not going to have an easy time understanding the rest of it all. So when we talk about all of this in verse one, but we will get through the next verses pretty quickly here, but understand it says, behold, the day of the Lord cometh, thy spoils shall be divided in the midst of thee. And we know what that says, by the way, that does coincide exactly with what we read in Isaiah chapter two. We don't have, unfortunately, the time to go over that because if I did, then we would be here going through Zechariah chapter 14 in probably a four-week series, which I'm not going to uh, throw that idea away. We might do that sometime down the line. Maybe when we go through Revelation, uh, we will have these sort of uh, uh, special nights that we dedicate uh, time to going through some of these other passages to help people understand or better understand what's going on. But in essence, we are talking about here the tribulation. Now look at this. For I will gather, notice this, all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses uh, rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. In other words, God is going to still preserve the city, and in his work of preservation of the city, the remnant of people that remain in the city will be the ones who will still enjoy the benefits of occupation of Jerusalem. And when I say occupation, that's not a good term to use. Uh, of living in Jerusalem, and I think that's kind of an important thing. But then look what it says here, because God is going to intervene, right? Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle, right? So this is kind of an important thing, like God is going to come in and he is going to destroy these nations that choose to come against Israel. By the way, I do think it's important for me to reemphasize a point that I've been emphasizing for quite some time now and perhaps maybe overemphasizing for the past couple of years. When you posture yourself against Israel, you are setting yourself up for utter destruction. You're setting yourself up for failure. Why? Because if you want to be cursed by God, then mess with Israel right? Because God is not going to allow the apple of his eye to be destroyed. It's not going to happen. So if you want to flip God off, if you want to uh, wave your fist at him, if you want to try to fight him, go ahead and mess with Israel. And the reality of it is God is going to literally turn you around upside down and annihilate you as a nation if you seek to do it. I think that is perhaps the greatest reason why for a short period of time, God really blessed the United States of America uh, three years ago 
four years ago because of the decisions we were making in support of Israel, and it is perhaps one of the greatest reasons why we are being cursed right now as a country. The re one of the reasons why we're being judged is because the stands that we have taken against Israel in seeking to put Israel in the worst position that we can allow it to be put in. What I think is funny is it's a fruitless effort, and it's an effort that will die very quickly because God will not allow it to happen, because God loves his people and I think that it is uh, critically important to understand and remember why it is uh, the way it is, right? So it's very important to understand that. And so these nations are not going to be successful in coming against Israel. Now look at this in verse 4 because this is really powerful. And man, I wish I had more time to do this, but I made the decision to finish the chapter today. So ah, I regret it. I probably could have gone through the first four verses and gone through another four. And Anyway, uh, but it says this in verse 4. It says, and his feet shall stand in that day whose feet, the feet of Christ, right? We're talking about the Messiah, right? We're talking about the deliverer, right? We're talking about the king of Israel that will rule in perpetuity. That's who we're talking about. We're talking about the descendant of David, Jesus. That's who we're talking about here. It says, and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and on the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north and half towards the south. And you shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azel. Yeah, you shall flee like as you fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and the Lord my God shall come and all the saints with thee. It's very interesting, by the way. There has been mention of this earthquake um, in the days of Uzziah. Uh, by people, but we don't know when that was. We have no record of it, really. But in essence, I believe that what the Lord is talking about is this will be a substantially catastrophic event when it takes place. And by the way, when the Lord puts his foot there on the Mount of Olives, I do want you to understand how big of a split that's going to be in the mountain. Matter of fact, that mountain will, that split will be so large that what it will do is produce a valley of sorts that will connect two bodies of water. And I think that that's an important distinction to understand. It will connect the Dead Sea, right, all the way through so that it starts flowing again. And I think that that's an important distinction to remember because right now the Dead Sea is dead. It's the way it is right now because there is no body of water that is uh, moving, right? It's a stale body of water. That's why the salt buildups are there and so on and so forth. But when the Mount of Olives is split like that, it is going to be water flowing again, and it is going to be something like the nation has never seen and the world has never seen. By the way, it is also an interesting note to make for you guys to understand how critical water has been for Israel and how smart Israel has been in dealing with the limited amount of water that they actually have. As a matter of fact, Galilee is perhaps the most significant body of water for them. A lot of people say, well, it's the Mediterranean. It's actually Galilee that becomes 
becomes the most significant body of water. And the reason why the Galilee is the most significant body of water is because of the need that they have to be able to grow vegetation in the region. And if it was not for the ingenuity of the Jews in the type of irrigation techniques that they have been deploying, and if it wasn't for God giving them wisdom on how to deploy those irrigation uh, techniques, then a lot of the world would be starving right now because an overwhelming majority of the irrigation tactics and techniques that we use right now, even in California and in places all over the world, have come from the remarkable inventions and innovations of the Jews. We have learned it. A lot of our modern day irrigation tactics are being used right now that we have learned from the Jews. And so they have taken the limited water supply that they have in that, because remember, the body of water in the Dead Sea is completely unusable, right? You're talking about salt. That's just, it's just nothing but pure salt. Uh, and so to the point when we take people to Israel and we actually allow them to kind of float around in the Dead Sea, because that's what you will do. The salt content is so high that you can be the skinniest person on the face of the earth and still float like you're fat like me right? And, and the reality of it is uh, I've never actually gone into the Dead Sea because uh, they've always told me, James, don't you want to float in water? So I don't need to know what it feels like to float in water. I float in water every single day. I'm like one of the most buoyant human beings alive, so I don't need to go uh, over there, right? Not to mention the fact that we tell this to people and they never listen, and it's ridiculous. They never listen to us. We say, listen, whatever you do, do not go in the Dead Sea if you think you have an open wound anywhere right? If you have even a, a, a little scrape on you that's healing and you've got a little uh, a scab that's on there, don't go into the Dead Sea. And they don't listen. Oh, I got this. This ain't no big deal. And you hear these grown men walking into the Dead Sea going, ah! Ah! And they're screaming for probably the next 15 minutes, even when they walk out, because the salt content is so high that it's, it has a way worse effect than alcohol. But what is kind of unique is that salt also helps their wounds heal up pretty quickly, even though it comes at a great cost. They're very painful, right? So when that valley is made through Christ's foot touching down on the Mount of Olives, you're going to see a flow of a beautiful body of water that ends up taking place. And it is uh, pretty remarkable to actually see that, right? In verse 6, And it shall come to pass in that day that the light shall not be clear nor dark, but it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord, not day nor night, but it shall come to pass that at evening time it shall be light. So we're looking at some kind of a cataclysmic event that is so severe, so uh, just remarkable that you're not going to know the difference between night and day. Now, some people say, well, that's impossible. No one knows. There's no such condition like that. Someone told me that recently. Matter of fact, uh, someone made a comment when I had uh, loosely referred to this online in one of my videos, and they said, that's impossible, James. There's no place on earth where it's like that. And I, I, I resisted the urge, and I sort of ignored it. But what I wanted to do was reply and say, have you ever talked to anybody in Alaska, right? Have you ever talked to anybody on the North Pole? Have you ever spoken to anybody that's in certain parts of the world where they literally see darkness for 40 days a year? You know, 50 days a year, in some cases longer than that. There is no difference. There is no awareness of the difference between dark and light, you know, night and day through the existence of uh, dark and night, right? So we have situations like that. What perhaps we might end up seeing 
is some variant from the way that the Earth is shifted on its axis. There might be something like that going on. It could be something as simple as God just simply not allowing the light of the sun to have an effect on the environment there in Jerusalem as he miraculously places a canopy upon the region or upon the area to prevent certain happenings from actually taking place. We don't know, but what we know is God is going to make it as such. And it says, but it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord, as I read before, uh, not day nor night, but it shall come to pass that at evening time it shall be light, and it shall be in that day that living water shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea and half toward the hinder sea in summer and in winter shall it be. So remember, we talked about these uh, connected bodies of water, right? That we're talking about the Dead Sea, in essence, coming to life as a result of this valley that begins to take place. And we start having breathing water, right? Living water that's actually flowing as a result of the mountain being split. And um, I, I always like to do this when I take groups to Israel. Uh, every time we've done it, we've done it the same way. We take them to the, mount, the top of the Mount of Olives. If you don't know what the Mount of Olives is if you are standing on the Mount of Olives and you are pointing, like literally if you're standing there and you're pointing your face, right, to look, you're looking at a westerly direction, you're going to see the big golden dome. You will actually be looking at the east gate, right? You're standing looking at the east gate. You're looking in a westerly direction. You're seeing the big dome and that is the Mount of Olives. You're standing there. So we like to take the groups and we like to say, Christ will touch down on this mountain. And there's going to be this massive split between each side to open up the door. And we oftentimes like to do the trip from uh, the Dead Sea straight into Jerusalem so that we can kind of give them an understanding of the geography. We like to take them through the old Jericho Road. Uh, we like to kind of give them an idea of the geography so that they understand what it's going to actually look like and what that's going to prove to be, which is uh, a very interesting phenomenon that actually takes place. And it says, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord and his name one, and the land shall be turned as a plain from Gibba to Ramon south of Jerusalem, and it shall be lifted up and inhabited in her place from Benjamin's gate unto the place of the first gate, unto the corner gate, and from the tower of uh, Hananil unto the king's wine press. By the way, if you want to learn more about this and you want to make yourself more acquainted with the geography of this section of Jerusalem, looking at the old city, I highly recommend that you listen to my teaching on the book of Nehemiah. Particularly if you want to take a shortcut, jump into Nehemiah chapter 3, where I talk a little bit about the geography and uh, develop a, uh, a picture of what it looks like with these gates. And there's where you'll develop an understanding. As I said before, guys, when you know the Old Testament, your understanding of the book of Revelation becomes very, very, very vivid, right? It's not difficult to be able to see the parallels that exist uh, in this context, right? And it says, and men shall dwell in it and there shall be no more utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be what? Safely inhabited. You know, we're already beginning to see this, right? We're already beginning to see Jerusalem uh, shore up a little bit, right? Uh, yes, it's a hotbed for a lot of controversy right now. We know there's a lot of crazy things that are happening, but we are watching God do what he promised he would do we're watching the beginning of it, and it's pretty amazing. 
Verse 12, and it said, And this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite all people that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet, and their eyes shall consume away in their holes, and their tongue shall consume away in their mouth. By the way, it is very interesting how people um, refer to this as a description of some type of a nuclear holocaust. I've heard a lot of people talk about this as it being some kind of a nuclear happening. I don't agree with that, right? Um, I think that the, the operative terminology that we see given or introduced to us here is the word plague, right? We're talking about a plague. So we're talking about some kind of a flesh-eating uh, kind of a, a viral thing. It could be something like that. It could be, even though this one is really hard to imagine, right? I mean, it's really, really hard to imagine. It could be some kind of a man-made virus designed to kill a certain people group, right? It's kind of hard to imagine. Crazy, right? We know that there's, it's going to be something like that. By the way, we've seen lots of uh, diseases come upon people that literally eat their flesh very quickly, right? We've seen those types of things. It's very possible, and undoubtedly, that is something uh, that is not outside of the realm of possibility. And God is saying, look, I'm going to judge all those people. I, I'm, I'm going to deal with those people and they're not going to get away with the evil that they're continuing to do. And it shall come to pass in that day that a great tumult from the Lord shall be among them and they shall lay hold every one on the hand of his uh, neighbor and his hand shall rise up against the hand of his neighbor and Judah also shall fight at Jerusalem and the wealth of all the heathen round about shall be gathered together, gold, silver, and apparel in great abundance. It's kind of funny when you talk about the fact that there is going to be a very popular consensus that will choose to fight against Israel. And in doing so, uh, not only will they lose, but everything that they have amassed uh, throughout the time of their existence will be taken away from them and given uh, to God's ancestrally chosen people, right? It's not going to work. Uh, again, you want to be blessed by God. You bless the Jews. You want to be cursed by God. Go ahead and fight them. Go ahead, right? You'll experience the curse of God in ways uh, that's very, very difficult to be able to discern or understand or even know. Thank you for joining us today for Light on the Hill with Pastor James Cadiz. We'll get back to our study shortly. To listen again, go to lightonthehillradio.com or listen to Pastor James through our Light on the Hill app. It's free and available to download at the App Store or Google Play. We also have a podcast. We'd love to hear what God is doing in our listeners' lives, so send us an email today. It would mean a lot to Pastor James to hear from you. We also want to pray for you as we realize these are difficult times for so many. Our email address is radio at calvarychapelsignalhill.com. That's radio at calvarychapelsignalhill.com. As we continue to share God's word on stations across the nation, maybe you'd like to support what we're doing. This would be a wonderful time to make a secure donation at lightonthehillradio.com or give through the Light on the Hill app. Now let's get back to our Bible study in Zechariah chapter 14. And so shall be the plague of the horse, of the mule, of the camel, and of the ass, and all of the beasts that shall be in these tents as this plague, right? This is going to be an equal opportunity destroyer, right? I think that's very 
uh, important. Verse 16, and it shall come to pass that everyone, notice this, everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. By the way, when you start looking at some of the major feasts that existed prior to the feast of tabernacles, right? Those feasts have been fulfilled, if you really think about it, right? When you, um, when you look at the Passover, right? Uh, when you look at Pentecost, when you look at the feasts associated with Yom Kippur, when you look at many of the things drawn into that time, those were all feasts that were celebrated in anticipation. Actually, they were celebrated to commence certain moments that happened in Israel's history, but they also were understood to be something that was an anticipatory mechanism to deploy, to point people to the coming of the Messiah. And when the Messiah came the first time, those feasts were fulfilled, right? Now, the fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles centers around the second coming of Christ. Now, a lot of people say, well, does that mean that Christ will rapture the church during the Feast of Tabernacles? A lot of people say that. Some people say, does that mean that the, uh, the commencement of the tribulation will be sometime during the Feast of Tabernacles, or will the end of the tribulation be at some time during the Feast of Tabernacles? No, not necessarily. I'm not saying that it couldn't be. I'm just saying that it wouldn't necessarily be because no one's going to know the day or the hour. But one thing that is very interesting and should be noted is that when we talk about the Feast of Tabernacles, and I wish I had the time to walk through the intricacies of that feast, right? Understand that is one that speaks more cohesively about the second coming of Christ as opposed to the first, right? There's a fulfillment in the redemption that the Messiah brings that is celebrated in the Feast of Tabernacles. And I think that that is something that should be uh, noted, right? So we see that. So they are celebrating this right? So it shall come to pass that whoso will not come up of all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, even upon them that shall be no rain, right? So this is, uh, this is very, very interesting. We'll have the rest of this message for you tomorrow on Light on the Hill with Pastor James Cadiz, a presentation of Calvary Chapel's Signal Hill. That peace only comes from you I have found That joy only comes from you Cause all I need is